Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. Wonderful to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop yet again. I'm glad to see you've come here because today is a special day. I've got something very intriguing to show you. If you look at the oil painting on the wall, it is a curious painting indeed. The artist is unknown. The date in which this masterpiece was created is even less known. But it depicts a giant, transparent, while oddly translucent hand resting on a piece of geography. Uh, looks like it could be the upper New York State area. This painting, of course, depicts the legend that God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And when he rested, he rested his hands on the Finger Lakes area of New York. And that is the subject of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's take a look at myths, legends, and lore of the Finger Lakes region. Now, upstate New York has been rife with tales of the supernatural for centuries, from the Headless Horseman in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow to Rip Van Winkle, to sea creatures like Champ in Lake Champlain and Georgie in Lake George, to versions of Bigfoot, the Lady in White, and other crypto creatures and ghost stories. So, New York State has always had a, a great and rich history in the supernatural, which piqued my curiosity because uh, my wife and I uh, were going on vacation coming up uh, this week. We're actually on vacation now as we speak. Uh, we're staying in the Finger Lakes region of New York, and I'm always curious whenever I go anywhere, uh, especially anywhere new, I'm always excited and curious about all of the lore and the legends of these areas, ghost stories, tales of the supernatural, tales of things unexplained from various regions. And while uh, so many different regions uh, from region to region uh, have a lot of the same stories or similar stories that all of them have their own unique stories, and I'm, I'm always interested in finding out about all the myths, legends, and lores of any place I go. So coming to the Finger Lakes region, I've never been uh, to this part of New York State, so I was quite interested to find out some of the, some of the legends that, that really surround and are ingrained and woven into the tapestry that is this region of the United States. So I thought it would be cool to do an episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop where we talk about some of the legends of the Finger Lakes region. And, you know, as I as I travel, as I do this podcast, uh, we're going to have episodes like this from time to time. So hopefully you can sit back and enjoy some of the, uh, some of the odd tales and odd things that... I don't know whether I'm going to experience anything while I'm here in this region. I kind of hope I do. 
But these are some of the things that other people have experienced. And one of the things I thought was really kind of cool because the Finger Lakes region has a rich history of Native Americans. Uh, of course, everywhere in the United States has a rich history of Native Americans uh, living in these areas. If you just look into the history of, of wherever you happen to be living, but uh, this this region of the United States has a uh, has you know it's part of the Iroquois uh, Confederacy, the Iroquois Nation, and. One of the first stories I heard about was the lake drums. Uh, now, lake drums can be heard around Lake Seneca and Lake Cayuga, which we're going to be staying just west, just slightly west, but within driving distance of both lakes. So uh, I'm really interested, once we spend some time around this lake, if I'm going to hear any of these lake drums. Now, the Native Americans thought the drums were their ancestors making some sort of communication. A lot believed that they were evil spirits or a sign from their god of thunder. Now, a lot of skeptics have tried to disprove this, saying that it was an underground channel between the lakes making this noise. They've really kind of dispelled that myth busting because it's been proven that there really are, there's no evidence of any channels between the two lakes. Others say that maybe it's a release of natural gas from either the ground around the lakes or the bottom of the lakes themselves. Uh, but really, there is no viable explanation for these drum sounds. And I, I gotta say that I'm no genius. Pretty close, but no genius. And I know the difference between the sound of a drum and the sound of some natural gas being released. Save the fart jokes for yourself. But I, I love the idea that, uh, you know, there, there's been people that have, that have heard these drums and I, for one, am quite interested. I, I want to spend some time around this lake and I'm sure we will. Uh, and I want to see if I hear these these lake drums that have been uh, so ingrained in the mythology of the Finger Lakes region. Now, of course, you can't have any large bodies of water without having tales of sea creatures we live just just south of lake erie and erie pennsylvania you've got the lake erie monster that's that's been it doesn't get quite the press that some of the other lake monsters do uh, because it one doesn't have a really cool name it's just the lake erie monster sea monster or something ridiculous like that no imagination whatsoever but you've got champ in lake champlain you've got georgie in lake george uh, yeah, see, it doesn't take much, but apparently nobody around the Lake Erie region uh, has come up with anything clever. But there is a, a lot of interesting sightings of sea creatures in the Finger Lakes region, like the Cayuga Lake creature, which we're going to be just west of Lake Cayuga and within driving distance. So kind of interested to see. Uh, I know we're going to be spending some time out on the water who knows? Uh, I'm going to be watching the surface to see if anything breaks. But in 1897, it was reported that a sea serpent in Lake Cayuga, dubbed Old Greeny, was was spotted. The journalist uh, at the time, uh, a lot of them would give up like legit stories just to sit around the water's edge to try and get a, a glimpse of Old Greeny. I think that may have been probably the first first or at least were first recorded sighting uh in 1922 there was a report that uh, two sea creatures 
had invaded Lake Cayuga, uh, about 12 to 15 feet in length. Uh, now, it's theorized that they came to Lake Cayuga through the underground tunnels that they, they've kind of disproven that those things actually exist, but you never know. Uh, just because they haven't proved it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but uh, they, they theorized that these creatures came to Lake Cayuga from a family of sea serpents that lived in Lake Seneca. While many swear that these are sea serpents, uh, there are some skeptics that kind of chalk it up to sightings of, of muskrats uh, swimming or, or even sturgeon in the lake. Now, speaking of Lake Seneca, I don't know if we're going to get to spend any time at Lake Seneca. I know we're talking about going to, to Watkins Glen National Park that's kind of down at the southern tip of Lake Seneca, but Lake Seneca had one of the most interesting and detailed sightings that I came across. In 1899, a steamship was traveling the lake. They came upon a capsized boat. Now, the crew was preparing to lower a, a lifeboat to go check out the wreckage when a sea creature raised its head out of the water. Now, a geologist on board described the creature. And, you know, a geologist, he's a man of science. You would think this sighting would hold some clout, uh, having a man of science give such a detailed description. But this geologist said, its head was perhaps four feet long and triangular in shape. Its mouth was very long and armed with two rows of triangular white teeth, as sharp as those of a shark, but in shape more like that of a sperm whale. The body was covered in a horny substance, almost like a, uh, he described it almost like a, a turtle, but like no turtle he'd ever seen. He'd gone on to say the horny substance was brown in color with a greenish tinge. The belly of the creature was a cream white. The eyes were round like those of a fish and it did not wink now the captain of the steamship captain herondine uh, rammed the creature and a lifeboat was sent out to recover the creature because they knew if nobody saw the creature no one was going to believe them they needed evidence and as they were raising the body out of the water with pulleys and ropes uh, one of the ropes slipped the body fell back into the water and sank and again, there's a lot of speculation of these channels that that link the lakes, uh, especially Lake Seneca and Lake Cayuga. Uh, a lot of people speculate that it's one of these channels that the creature uses as its lair. Uh, again, they've disproven that there are any channels. Uh, but then again, you know, just because it hasn't been proven doesn't mean it doesn't exist, which I try to err on the side of science and not what I want to be. Uh, I want there to be creatures like this out there. But, you know, until it's proven that there are, you gotta go with the idea that that maybe there aren't these channels. Uh, but it's all, like I said, all quite interesting. Uh, there are many more tales and depictions of sightings of these creatures. And like I said, you get any large body of water and you get these sort of sightings. And it's always interesting. They're, they're always very similar, but sometimes they differ. And yeah, you could chalk it up to people just... Uh, you know, making things up or maybe they're uh, seeing things they're not really seeing and they're just going by how other people described it. But the, the fact that so many depictions are similar yet different, uh, it, it's got to it's got to lend to the possibility that there might not be something there. I don't know what, but uh, but I'm always interested 
in in stories like these of these like crypto creatures that uh, are from a land that time forgot or a, a time that man forgot and somehow slipped through the cracks of evolution, slipped through the cracks of time and, and have existed where where man just is not able to to understand how they're still alive when when so many of these creatures have gone extinct. It's always fascinating to me. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping we spend any time out of the water, I may see a, a glimpse of one of those triangular heads coming out of the water. Now, the rows of teeth are why I'm not going to be in the water. I'll stay, well, as safe as can be on the boat. We're probably going to need a bigger boat. Now, if I do run into a sea serpent or creature of any type out of the waters of the Finger Lakes, it would not be my first run-in with a sea serpent or, or a sea creature. If you want to find out a very interesting, maybe you're new to the podcast, you want to find out a very interesting tale of uh, of my, my first run-in with uh, Denizen of the Deep, uh, you want to check out the Ghost Stories from the Shopkeeper episode from back on October 28th of last year, 2021. And uh, at the end of the podcast, end of the episode, there's an interesting story of my first run-in with a deadly sea serpent or sea creature. You be the judge. Now, one of the other things I really found fascinating about the Finger Lakes region in New York is the fact that not only did they have the cool uh, sea creature sightings, the cool uh, spirit apparitions playing drums, but, you know, like I said, this area is rich with Native American culture. And like I said, this is a, this area was a big part of the Iroquois Confederacy or the Iroquois League, or maybe more commonly known to white settlers as the Five Nations. Of course, uh, the Five Nations make up the Mohawk, the Anita, Onondaga, Cayuga, and Seneca tribes. And there's a lot of things that I find fascinating about this region. The fact that Rod Serling named his production company Cayuga Productions. Uh, he's buried in that area. We're going to talk a little more about that coming up uh, in, a, in another episode. But uh, the Cayuga area and the people that lived around this lake, the Native Americans who lived around this lake that made up this tribe, Cayuga means people of the great swamp. And these peoples that made up this area, these Native Americans, had a fascinating history of their own lore. And the things that, you know, that went bump in the night that, that kept them up at nights. Uh, and, and I was reading about some of these, some of these different beings and creatures and spirits that are, are a part of the Native American uh, history and culture and tradition of this area. And I, I found a few, I'm going to talk about a few that really uh, <laughs> made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. But the one that uh, fascinated me first was the Onier. Uh, it's a dragon-like Iroquois legend. It would capsize boats. Uh, you could protect yourself from the Onier by making an offering to it. Maybe offer up one of your buddies on the boat. You could also invoke the Thunder God, Hinnon, who is in fact Onier's uh, mortal enemy. And uh, Onier means snake in uh, the Mohawk language. So I thought that really kind of was interesting given how many accounts that I've seen and read about sea serpents and sea creatures in these lakes, especially Lake Seneca, Lake Cayuga, and in so many lakes around this region. It kind of makes you wonder, you know, even the Native Americans had this tradition and this myth of this snake-like sea serpent creature. Another cool myth that I found in the research I was doing on the 
the Iroquois nation and some of the uh, Iroquois tribes that were in this region was the Joga'o. It's a Iroquois legend about a small race of dwarf, maybe gnome-like creatures, uh, usually invisible. Uh, some would reveal themselves to humans. They're about knee-high and related to Hinnon, the thunder god. Uh, they play tricks and are dangerous when disrespected. Reading some more about these these creatures, these Joga'o, it really felt almost like a, a gremlin, but the but the imagery of these little dwarf, little gnome-like creatures that uh, are playing tricks uh, kind of reminded me of the elves uh, that there, there are so many legends and fables about in the, the Scandinavian countries. It, it's kind of interesting how, you know, peoples from the opposite ends of the world, but they all have kind of similar traditions and histories and fables and folklore is it this kind of shared hive mind that maybe we have this history that we can all kind of tap into or are these peoples uh, like i said with a giant ocean in between the two of them seeing things that are real and they may be slightly different from this end of the world to that end of the world but maybe there is something to some of this stuff of course, we were talking about uh, little dwarf-like uh, creatures. We moved from that to rock giants, these stone coats. The rock giants, they're, they're part of the Iroquois tradition, uh, Iroquois-speaking tribes. There's kind of differing traditions here. Some say there is only one stone coat. Others say that there's a whole race of stone coats, these rock giants. They're twice as tall as a human, rock-hard, scaly skin, uh, associated with ice in winter, but they hunt and eat humans. Now, some traditions have these stone coats saying that they were once human and cursed for their evil deeds. But there again, so many different traditions and so many different peoples in Israel. You know, how many how many times in the Bible did you hear about Goliath and being this giant and the Israelites coming upon the the land of Canaan and and some saw giants in Native American culture like this. You have the stone coats, these giants uh, who are twice as tall as a as normal human man. There again, you know, it, it could be chalked up to just tall tales. The rock hard skin, maybe calling them stone giants, conjures image of uh, fantastical creatures, but maybe there is some truth to this. Like anything, you have to take both extreme ends of the spectrum and find a place right in the middle, and that's probably where the truth lies. Uh, so the the stone coats was an interesting myth uh, tradition in the Iroquois speaking peoples that uh, that really kind of fascinated me. Just because, like the Joga'o, they are creatures that have been talked about and are part of the mythos of peoples all over the world. Now, these last uh, three creatures I'm going to talk about uh, in, in the, like I said, the rich tradition of, of mythology of the, the people of the Iroquois Confederacy, these Iroquois nations that lived in the Finger Lakes region of the United States. Uh, these three creatures were some of the more frightening <laughs> of the myths and traditions that that I read about. Now, the one called the naked bear, Nyagwahe, it's a gigantic man-eating creature. It looks like a bear, but it has no fur and an oversized head. Now, this, this monstrous bear is hairless, uh, according to legend, because all of its hair falls out after eating human flesh. That is not very reassuring for me, because look at me. 
I'm a tasty morsel and I'm not built for speed. So running, running away from this bear is not an option, nor is climbing a tree. Although you shouldn't climb a tree when being chased by a bear. Now, Legend has it that this bear is nearly invincible, and but can only be killed by shooting an arrow into the sole of its feet. Now, some believe Naked Bear is inspired by mammoths and mastodon fossils, which is an interesting theory because, yeah, you know, you got some of these creatures that are talked about. You wonder how much of it is are things that have been actually seen or how much of it is skeletal remains that, that these peoples conjured up stories to explain these bizarre creatures that they've found uh, skeletons of. But I am one that loves the fantastical. I am one that loves uh, the mysterious. I'm one that loves the things that go bump in the night. And I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, there's a big naked bear out there looking to take a bite out of my sweet backside. Another creature, uh, again, these last two were really frightening to, to read about and the, the prospect of these these creatures being real. But one was the flying head known as Kunera Nene. And I'm apologizing to anyone of uh, Native American descent who may know these creatures and know the, the names. I'm probably butchering uh, the pronunciations on these, and I do apologize, but no matter how you say the name of this creature, uh, this huge disembodied head with fiery eyes and tangled hair is the stuff of nightmare. And of course, it flies around through the air, chasing and devouring humans. Now, some legends have this head created from uh, a violent murder or a mass grave, uh, you know, a mass grave and this head rises up to, to exact revenge. In others, humans are transformed into this giant head after acts of cannibalism. Others still say it's just a monster that likes to eat people. Uh, Any way you slice it though, <laughs> It's it's frightening. The thought of a giant disembodied head with flaming eyes uh, flying around trying to eat you. And and a lot of the stuff, a lot of the cannibalism aspects of this, the, the tradition where the giant head comes after acts of cannibalism, kind of ties into the uh, Wendigo stories from the, the Great Plains tribes and, of course, in the, the Great Lakes region and the First Nations peoples up in, up in Canada. Now, the final creature we'll be talking about is called Dry Fingers, Oniaten. Again, a disembodied, mummified arm in Iroquois folklore. Now, in some of the lore, it's just a boogeyman that terrorizes people. But in other folklore, it's a vengeful apparition that's there to punish bad people, especially those who speak ill of the dead. This arm flies around and anybody it touches dies or is afflicted with disease or is stricken blind to some sort of malady like that. But there again, much like a flying head flying around, a, a, a disembodied arm reaching out to touch somebody and strike them dead is the stuff of nightmares. And I'm probably not going to sleep very well throughout this entire vacation uh, because I'm afraid of the uh, Oniaten coming to, to reach out and touch me. But like I said, there are just so many really cool myths and legends and folk stories about creatures and apparitions and ghosts that, I mean, every place in the United States 
has these types of stories. And it always fascinates me to be able to hear some of these stories. And I'm hoping while we're on this vacation, I get a chance to talk to some of the locals and hear their stories of the things that go bump in the night, uh, the things that they've experienced in this area. Because like I said, uh, not only does this area have uh, a rich history, but it has a rich history of the supernatural, the things that can't be explained. And that's one of the things that made me so interested to come to the Finger Lakes region and and go on vacation. Now, we're going to have fun. We're going to do things, uh, you know, go out on the water, spend time on a pontoon boat, uh, do some fishing. My wife is really excited because we're going to a pet alpaca and we're going to do regular vacation things. But, uh, but like I said, I am a, a, a creature of the night and I am always looking for the bizarre and the twisted and the unexplained and the odd. So I'm excited about this trip to the Finger Lakes region of New York and hopefully enjoyed hearing about some of these tales. Maybe it'll inspire you to to look up this area and some of the some of the tales and some of the folklore and the myths of the Finger Lakes region, or maybe it'll inspire you to look up some of the, the tales, folklore and myths of your own neck of the woods. And like I said, anytime I do any traveling, I'm going to do some research about some of the things in the areas I travel to, and we're going to do episodes from time to time like this where we talk about some of those really cool and bizarre things that go bump in the night that haunt every neck of the woods in the United States. So thanks for listening to uh, my talk on some of the things that are going to scare the bejesus out of me while I'm on vacation. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about with this vacation is the fact that Rod Serling is is buried in a town called Interlochen. Of course, he's uh, I think he was born in Rochester, New York, and he's buried in Interlochen, which is down uh, closer to the southern end of Lake Cayuga. Uh, in between Lake Cayuga and Lake Seneca. He named his production company Cayuga Productions, uh, I'm assuming because of this lake. Uh, so I'm really excited. I'm going to go pay my respects to the grave of Rod Serling because uh, his work with the Twilight Zone, uh, especially the Twilight Zone, is so influential in me being a fan of science fiction and fantasy and horror. And so uh, I'm going to go spend some, uh, just a few minutes, uh, like I said, paying my respects at the grave of Rod Serling. And next, this coming Thursday, while we're on vacation, I'm going to be doing an episode dedicated to Rod Serling. And I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about the man and his life uh, a little bit, but even more so, we're going to talk about some of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes that were so influential in me becoming a fan of the bizarre and the unknown and the unexplainable. So that's coming up on Thursday's show. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where we're always posting trailers to the latest movies, series, uh, limited series, all that cool stuff. We're always passing along articles from all over the internet about horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Uh, there's a lot of trailers out right now uh, for a lot of series coming up, especially on Netflix. So you can check out some of those trailers uh, on our Facebook page. And no matter where you're listening to this podcast, please leave a review. Uh, five stars would be awesome. It really helps with uh, with all these platforms promoting our podcast and getting it out there, making it available for people to see and, and listen to. And not only that, but please share the podcast, uh, like it, subscribe to it, download it, all that good stuff. And we do, do definitely appreciate it. So until next time. 
Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!